Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Anne is a 64-year-old woman who comes in for her annual visit. She works full-time and feels well. Anne shares with you that she is terrified about getting dementia. Both her parents were diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, her mom in her late 60s, and it eventually led to her death. Her father was diagnosed at 76 and has slowly declined, now living in a long-term facility at age 87. He is mute, incontinent, and has difficulty walking. She and her siblings are seeking palliative care for him, but they're all sad and stressed. I'm sitting, I'm a sitting duck for this disease, and I'm really frightened. Is there anything I can do to prevent my developing dementia? Hi, this is Frank Domino, family physician and professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Joining me today to discuss dementia and preventative methods is Susan Feeney, Doctor of Nurse Practitioners and Assistant Professor and Coordinator of the Family Nurse Practitioner Tract at the University of Massachusetts Medical School's Graduate School of Nursing. Hi, Susan. Hey, Frank. Wow, Anne sounds like so many of my patients. Yeah. And I think uh, in the back of our minds, all of us worry a little bit about dementia. Can you briefly remind us a bit about the risk factors for dementia? Sure. There's, there are several. Uh, genetic, environmental, and lifestyle are really the, the three big uh, buckets of risk factors. And genetic is uh, really fairly rare. Uh, but what we have lots of information on is the, um, the lifestyle and environmental risk that can increase someone's risk of getting dementia. And we also talk about risk factors and protective factors. So some of those, besides the genetic, as I mentioned, um, we know risk factors are vascular. There's a whole clump of vascular risk factors, um, cerebrovascular lesions, cardiovascular disease, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, diabetes, prediabetes. We know that that has an impact. Um, we do know that onset of hypertension, especially with regards to early onset of dementia, uh, high cholesterol. Um, and then we also know that certain diets, so diets that are high in uh, saturated fats, and then smoking and high alcohol intake. So all of these familiar kinds of things that we've been talking about forever as far as uh, being detriments to one's health are clearly associated with a risk of dementia. Wow. Okay. So so poor Anne is looking at both her parents and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm a sitting duck for this. Right. Um, you mentioned that genetics is a fairly small component. Explain. Well, it, it, they have uh, found uh, several mutations, and some are associated with early onset, and some are associated with late onset. But for the vast majority, um, it really is a combination of perhaps in certain people this, this genetic predisposition. But for most people, it's probably environmental and lifestyle. Okay, well, well, that's actually good because yes. you can't change your genes, right? Um, and we do know that their age is certainly a, a an increased risk factor, right? I think as you age, a number of disease risks right. go up, and dementia right. is certainly one of them. Right. All right. Well, what can we tell Anne? What can she do to lower her risk? Well, they've got definite 
um, we've got a lot of information in the literature on protective factors. And you know, we do know that there's certain things that, from a, socio, from a socioeconomic standpoint, so people that are, have higher education, have a higher socioeconomic standard, you know, they, we know there's an association with low, that with that being a protective factor. We know that high work complexity, so people who do things that take on multiple brain function tend to have a protective activity. Uh, we know that as rich social networks and being engaged, it, being involved with friends and, and uh, engagement in, in social activities is very important. Um, and then mentally stimulating activities. So all of those, yeah, we don't have the, I don't have the evidence on it, but you think about some of the word games and various types of things may have an ability to keep you stimulated. But on, on top of that, we know that exercise is protective. And when they, the study that I had looked at was, um, they looked specifically at four domains that were very, very protective. And they referred to them as you either had a favorable profile, an intermediate or unfavorable profile. And smoking, if you're a non-smoker, that's a big proponent or a big protective uh, factor. Regular exercise, so that's 150 minutes a week, or and they talked about vigorous versus moderate, but basically 150 minutes a week, 30 minutes a day for five days, that was definitely protective. And it could be something as, as moderate as a brisk walk with some resistance. Um, healthy diet, and the diets we talk about all the time, the Mediterranean diet, the low saturated fats, high fruits, high fibers. Um, low processed foods, and then moderate to low intake of, of alcohol. So that's less, it's one or less drink per day for women, two or less for men, and, and they have very specific parameters for that. And those were associated with um, a, they found that people who were, um, who followed, had a favorable lifestyle, whether they had a low or high genetic risk, had a protective, this protected them. So the, the lifestyle itself was far bigger influence than the genetic than the genetic piece, right? So people with this high genetic uh, profile, mm -hmm. um, if they had a a favorable healthy lifestyle, their risk of developing dementia was was really significantly decreased. So that's that is fabulous news. It really is. It it, it changes the game because I think. We think about um, a variety of other things when we think about preventing dementia and improving memory uh, and, uh, and helping people do what we're already encouraging them to do means that there's That's no right. conflicting messages. You That's need. right. It's the same story. So for Anne, you know, we've probably been hitting her over, I've been hitting her over the head saying, you know, you need to eat and you need to eat properly and exercise to protect your heart. When in fact... A real motivator for people is, would you like to keep your faculties and be independent in, as you get older? And these are the same recommendations, and it's there's an abundant amount of, of evidence that tells us this. So it's not just keeping yourself functional, it's actually keeping your brain, uh, you know, your cognitive function in, at a good level. Um, what about medications or supplements? Is there any role in that in the prevention of dementia? The, the data really doesn't support um, any sort of supplement. They, there was a study recently on ginkgo biloba, which I know a lot of people are, are interested in taking, and they found no evidence that it was protective. What they have found, again, is exercise, diet, not smoking, and limiting the amount of alcohol you drink. 
I also yeah. think it's very important that you mentioned about the, the social networking yes. and having a social life. Seniors get isolated as they get older. Uh, I, I saw a recent publication that showed seniors who watch three and a half hours of TV or more per day are at much higher risk of developing dementia. I think that we, we have to find a better way to help our seniors be Absolutely. more integrated. Well, you know, you think about like a, a daycare, senior daycare, and a lot of people find that as a terrible stigma, but that engages them in a social network. It um, also gives them stimulating activities. They have activities that they will do with their colleagues. And, you know, we know that that um, being engaged, not just um, doing stimulating mental activities, but actually engaged with others um, is a protective factor. Well, uh, you know, Susan, I, I think this is a, a great topic. I think I've learned a great deal, and I feel very comfortable reassuring Anne that you know her risk can be mitigated if we get her to change. How might you summarize this for Anne today? I would say to her, well, the good news is it's not you're not a sitting duck, and this is not a done deal, and um, that you have the ability um, to try to either prevent, postpone, or diminish the 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 possibility of dementia by instituting these healthy lifestyles, which aren't, you know, it's not uh, going out and spending a million dollars on a gym membership. It's going out and walking. It's making sure that you're eating 80% of the time a healthy diet and that you, if you're smoking, stop and that to limit alcohol. Thanks so much, Susan. This is great. My pleasure. Practice pointer. To lower your risk of dementia, lifestyle change has the most profound impact. Not smoking, eating healthy, and regular exercise is critical. Join us next time when we talk about treating chronic stable angina with acupuncture. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com podcast, and see you next week.